Good morning. Continue our, our series called Launched. Um, this idea and this concept of, of all that God has done to, to launch uh, his church, to advance his kingdom. And uh, we're going to continue on as we look at Acts, 19, or Acts 11, 19 through 30 this morning. And we will go ahead and uh, read that together now. Uh, Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devout hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. A large number of the people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Well, Father, we come into your presence this morning, and we are in awe of you, of all that you've accomplished through your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit. We thank you that you have established your church and that your kingdom is expanding across this world. And we acknowledge that one day every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow before you. And that will come as a result of what you do through us. So we thank you for the example you give us in your word. May we hear from it this morning. May you lead us and teach us and guide us by the power of your spirit. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when we think about space exploration, uh, there's, a, there's tons and tons of movies, right, about this idea of exploring space. And we're fascinated by this idea, because there's, there's an unknown out there, and, and humans like to know things. Uh, but in order for us, in reality rather than fiction, to make that uh, a possibility, we recognize that for us to get uh, a spaceship from Earth into orbit takes a tremendous amount of effort and energy and fuel, and it's really, 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 really difficult. And so the idea of going beyond uh, our atmosphere and exploring the rest of the, the solar system and spaces is somewhat almost non-achievable. Uh, so people who are much smarter than me said, well, we need to do something about this. Uh, we can't launch from Earth and expect to explore beyond, right? So we have to have what they call a space station. And so the idea of the space station was if we can get our resources to this space station, we could then get to the space station and then launch out initiatives to expand farther than we could if we were to launch from Earth alone. Great idea. So the problem is, is you can't build a space station and then just send it on up. It's impossible. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't do it. And so um, it has been... Uh, impossible to build a space station on Earth and then launch it into space in one go. 
Therefore, there is no rocket big enough or powerful enough, enough uh, to get around the problem. The space station was taken into space piece by piece and gradually built in orbit, approximately 500 kilometers, uh, kilometers above the Earth's surface. So they take piece by piece and they begin to assemble this thing until they have something that resembles uh, a space station. Maybe not the space station of our, of our fantasies and uh, fiction, uh, but, uh, but a place where they could launch out and explore further into space. And this has been a, a collaborative effort. Uh, it's taken different countries all over the world to assemble different pieces and uh, a real clear sign of unity and, and about if we really want to accomplish something, we better, we better plan on doing it together because there's a lot, of, a lot of different giftings around the world and people that come together to make this possible. Uh, now, it's interesting when we think about the church uh, how similar that is for us. And when we look at this passage, we, we begin to see what is God doing. Uh, he's creating a, a hub. He's creating a space station, right? Because his goal and his mission wasn't just Jerusalem. His mission wasn't just to the Jews. It was to, to bring the gospel to his kingdom, to every tribe, tongue, and nation, until the whole world was saturated with his glory. His goal wasn't to bring everybody to Jerusalem. It was from Jerusalem that he was going to launch out an initiative that would reach the world. And so to do this, God, like the space station, like our, our astronauts, like our, 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 our desire to explore space, creates these hubs. And so I think that one of the first examples of one of these hubs, these space stations, we see is Antioch, a place in which God is going to launch out initiatives that are going to go far beyond Jerusalem. They're going to they're make an impact. And it's one of the first things we have to recognize is that, is that what is God's mission? God's, God's mission wasn't to build a church in the sense that there was going to be a church in Jerusalem that he was trying to draw everybody to. His goal is that the church would go out to, to the nations. Jesus says this, I will establish my church. How is he going to do that? He does that through us. So in the, very, in the very beginning, we see God's initiative. Uh, we, we kind of talk through this a little bit in, in the Made to Multiply uh, movement that we as a church are a part of. Uh, this idea that we want to be a part of God's multiplying initiative, God's kingdom initiative to the ends of the earth. And in the very beginning, this is exactly what he tells humanity he's going to do. Adam and Eve, he, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Right? They are image bearers of the living God. So he's saying, fill the earth with my glory. Fill the earth with my image. This was the, this was the plan from the very beginning. But of course, we recognize uh, sin hampered that plan. Uh, but Adam and Eve still began to multiply uh, to the point when, when mankind began to multiply on the earth, Genesis 6.1, and, and then leading into 5, it says, when the Lord saw that humans were wicked, wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. And so things didn't go as planned. But just as in Adam and Eve's sin didn't hamper God's plan, he, he speaks of redemption. And, and so God always intercedes b before man and brings redemption. And so we find this, of course, in the story of Noah, uh, 
Noah was found favor with God. He was considered a righteous man. And so God uh, proclaims redemption through Noah. And, and his, I don't think God's plan was only to save Noah, but Noah was proclaiming, hey, there's a way to be saved. You just have to get on the boat, right? And people were like, what, what is a boat? What do we need a boat for? What is this rain thing you're talking about? Uh, and so people, in, in the pride of their heart, they rejected God's call to redemption. Um, but Noah and his family are saved. And after they land, land on dry land in Genesis 9, God says to Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So again, God's plan is still in play. And so we we see this continue on as 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 Noah begins to multiply and the family lineages begin to expand and grow. But uh, we, we recognize the story of the Tower of Babel. What does man do? They, they build a tower because they're, they're, but their languages uh, were all the same. The vocabulary was the same. Uh, and it says in, in Genesis 11:4, he says, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the earth. Now, God's command is to be scattered all over the earth. <laughs> Feel the earth, subdue it. Man's inclination is to draw together. And of course, we know what God does. He confuses their language, and he spreads them out. And so I've said this before. You can either follow the will of God, and his will be done, or his will be done, and he's going to do it anyway. Those are our options. (laughs) God is sovereign and in control of all things. So somehow to think that we can uh, kind of sneak around God's plan and design, it's not going to happen. He's in control. He's sovereign. His will is going to be done. And so he confuses the languages and he spreads them out. And so when we come to the New Testament, we, we get this same, this same command. Only Jesus says, All authority now has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them, teach them to obey, right? We are are commissioned to go and make disciples of all the nations. And then we get the same commission, again, in Acts 1-8, that we are going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When are we going to do that? When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And this is what he tells the disciples. Wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so again, this idea of what God is doing from Jerusalem is he's launching out an an initiative, an effort in which his desire is to give the whole world access to his church. To be Christians. And this this is exactly what we see as we launch out into the story of Antioch. So in Acts 6, 5 through 6, you begin to see God putting the the pieces together, right? He's bringing piece by piece, just like the the space station. He's not building one big thing and then just saying, here it is. He's piecing it together. Uh, And so when, when the church began to expand, the elders got to a point where they said, uh, the apostles, elders, they said, hey, this is, this work is too much for us. We, we need to call deacons. 
Uh, and it's interesting here, sometimes Luke gives us little details, and you wonder, why did he put that in there? Um, and there's a, there's a section in here when he starts naming off uh, the, the, those who are going to be called as deacons. He says, Stephen's going to be called a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicoron, Timon, uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And again, you have to wonder, why is that important that Luke tells us here that there's a convert from Antioch? Uh, well, we, we recognize what happens shortly after this. Persecution comes upon the church by Saul, and he's going around and he's, he's dragging people off, and he's throwing them in, in prison. And in Acts 8, 4, it says, so that those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. They went on preaching the word. So God from Jerusalem is spreading the gospel. He's spreading the kingdom. He's giving people access to discipleship and healthy church. Starting in Jerusalem, and his commission from the very beginning was take the gospel, make disciples, starting in Jerusalem, and continue, continue on to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so when man fails, whose will is going to be done? God's will is going to be done. We can either do it God's way, or we can do it God's way. Again, the, the, that's, our, that's our choice. That's what he's offered to us. And so we can willingly go along and say, okay, God, this is what you said, we'll do it or God will do it and, and kind of force it. And that's what happens here. Persecution comes upon, upon the church and he scatters us. And sometimes we think persecution is a bad thing, but throughout church history, God has used persecution to advance his kingdom mightily. And so though, for those of us who fear a day where, where persecution comes upon us as a church, don't fear it. Maybe, maybe we need to rejoice. God, use it for your glory. Because we recognize that God has a different mission than our mission. Our mission isn't to gather all people to ourselves. Our mission is to subdue the earth, to fill it with the, the knowledge and the glory of the living God. And so we come to this passage in Acts 11. And those who were scattered as a result of the persecution, starting, started because of Stephen, uh, made their all, all the way to Antioch. So the Antioch church is a recipient of this spreading. And I'm guessing that that deacon that was appointed from Antioch probably made his way back home. He's probably starting to proclaim the gospel, which is said, they went about preaching the word. And as they begin to preach the word, they started with the Jews, but recognizing, again, the, the gospel is not for Jews only. It's for all people. So they also began speaking the gospel to the Greeks. Proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's hand was upon them, and large numbers believed and turned to the Lord. And so as a church, when we think about, uh, do we want to be used in the mission of God? There's a space mission of exploration. God's mission is to bring his glory, his gospel to all people. Do we want to be a part of it? This is what Antioch models for us. It starts with, with gospel proclamation. 
telling people of the, of the goodness of God, of his gospel that has the power to save all who believe. A lot of times when we think about church strategies, we think about maybe we need to do this and maybe we need to do that and uh, maybe we can do this better. Or maybe we, If it doesn't start with how are we proclaiming the gospel, then, then we're missing what God has called us to in his mission statement, in his mission initiative. And so as this, this movement begins to stir in Antioch, Jerusalem gets, gets word. So Antioch is already building a reputation for themselves, and, and people are beginning to talk. What is going on over here with these people in, in Antioch? That's the, that's the kind of reputation that you want. Imagine if in Houston, Texas, people were saying, hey, what's going on with this church over here in Cyprus? Cyprus Bible Church. I'm starting to hear things. Things are, things are going on over there. What is it? And people were sending people over here to figure out, hey, what are you guys doing? It's not rocket science, pun intended. <laughs> so let's look at, let's look at when Barnabas comes, what, what does he find? What does he find at Antioch? When he arrived, he saw the grace of God. When he arrived, he saw the grace of God. Now, is, is grace a tangible thing that you can say, whoa, look at that, there, God's grace. Can you, can you see it? Is it visible? It is. It is a visible thing. Where do we see it? We see it in, in people. Wow, look at the grace of God. Look at, look at the way God is moving through these people. And so, so as a church, are we defined by the grace of God? Is that who we are as a people? And I think because we are humans, we, we can always fail in, in grace. But it's something that you always return to. What is grace, right? Unmerited favor. So it's, it's easy to give an attaboy to somebody who deserves it, um, but it's really hard when, when maybe they've said something you disagree with and you're like, hey, I love you, brother, right? We, we extend grace because it's who we are. It's what we're called to as a people. And so I think when, when, you, when we take on this identity as a church, where does grace need to be extended first? It needs to be extended to one another recognizing that, that we are all going to fall short. I, I have fallen short in many ways. And I hope that, that grace is extended to me. Some of you are going to fail, and I would hope that I extend grace to you in all things. And so how do we, how do we maintain that as, as a church? Well, God gives us very clear mandates as to how we are to handle when, when we mess up, when we make mistakes. mistakes. Matthew 18 tells us that we are supposed to go to that brother and we're supposed, to, we're supposed to talk things out. And if we are reconciled, then we've won a brother. We've, we've restored unity and reconciliation. 
But if there's disagreement, you bring it to two or three, right? And, and through the counsel of many, you begin to dialogue and talk through problems. And if that fails, then you bring it before the church. But how many times do we fail in this mandate? How often do we fail in grace by first not extending it to each other? Now we, as a church, we're, we're in a difficult season. This is, this is not an easy time in the life of any church who's going through transition. Transition is tough for humanity in any realm. But in the church, we're passionate about our church. This is our church. We want to be proud of it. And so as we've been going through this pastor search, there's lots of opportunity for division. Lots of it. But we have to first and foremost extend grace to one another, recognizing that we're brothers and sisters. And if we offend or if we make mistakes, go to that person and say, hey, this was, this, I didn't take this well. Talk through it. I promise you, all of our hearts are the same. We want, we want the best for this church. We want the best for each other. And we're passionate about it. And we should be. But in all things, we have to extend grace. And then as I begin to look at this, this idea of, of reputation, particularly to the outside world, 1 Peter uh, 2.12 says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, be, may do so because of your good deeds. As they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so our, our reputation to outsiders, and there was a whole string of verses I could have spent the rest of the sermon just talking about our reputation to the outside world. Again, our, our grace should saturate who we are, and then we, as we extend out, people see it. Even to the point where they'll call us evildoers because we're doing good. And we don't lash out at people. We just say, this is who we are. At the, at the end of this passage, it tells us that they were first called Christians in Antioch. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's a, it's a Christ follower. So the whole world around was recognizing, hey, those are the ones that follow Christ. Those Christians. Right? What does, that, what does that look like? When Jesus gives us the Great Commission, he says all authority has been given to us in heaven and earth, right? All authority. How much authority do we have to go? We have all authority. But we don't use authority to our own advantage. We use it for the glory of God. Jesus, Jesus models for the, us for this just in an unthinkable way. The God who created all things... All things were created by him and for him. And he steps into humanity. And he doesn't use his authority to his own advantage. He's mocked. He's betrayed. He's condemned. And he's hung on a tree. And as he's hanging there, what do they do? They mock him again. If you have, if you are who you say you are, come on down. And he doesn't use his authority because his goal and his desire is to extend grace. 
If we, if we are to lead in the church, we have to lead like Jesus Christ. He is our, he is our example. But Barnabas models this extremely well for us. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And he's, in, he's encouraging the church. He's come alongside of them and he's, he's cur- encouraging and helping them to grow. And large numbers of the people were added to them. And so they don't just share the gospel for a little while and then stop. They continue on proclaiming the good news, recognizing that God's grace is extending out beyond farther than what they can imagine. And then Barnabas comes to a, a place where he recognizes that he's, this is probably getting bigger than him. It's probably more than he can handle. And so he goes to get help, and he finds Saul in Tarsus, and he brings them. And it says in Antioch, they spent a year meeting with the church, and they taught large numbers. So this, this idea that uh, evangelism sometimes we, we treat as kind of an isolated thing, just go share the gospel with people, and, and that's sufficient. It's not. The commission is to tell people the good news and then lead them into a process of teaching them what it is to follow Jesus Christ, to learn and be led by him. And that's what making a discipleship, a disciple is. There's, there's a distinction between mentoring and discipleship, and we have to be very clear mentoring a, a young man and teaching him about what it is to be a good husband or a father. Those are, those are excellent things and they're needed in the church. But being a disciple is being led into how to follow Jesus every day of your life, how to abide in him fully, that through that relationship you have with Jesus, he will produce fruit through you, he will produce fruit through us as his people, that he will be glorified that the, that the world will turn and look at us and say, who are those people, those Christ followers? How are, they, how are they able to do what they do? So as a church, if we want to be a hub, if we want to be a, a missionary sending church, we have to be saturated with the grace of God. We have to be saturated with the gospel The gospel is first for us. We proclaim it every Sunday because there's somebody in here this morning who has not understood their need for a Savior. There's somebody in here who's not known the grace and the love of God that he has extended apart from your works. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But Christ died for you. God has revealed his glory. And that glory is is a man who put on flesh and walked among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son. And he was crucified. He was hung on a tree. Though he had the authority to stop it, to overcome it, he didn't. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves us. And he died as a propitiation, a payment for our sins. And he did it willingly. But he overcome He overcame death. He overcame the tomb by rising again from the grave. And he says, anyone who puts their faith in me, he says, I will call you a son and daughter of the living God. I will give you new life. I will come into you and seal you eternally and you will be mine. 
We have to be a church saturated by the gospel. But the gospel is not for us alone, it's for the world. And it has to extend beyond these walls. And to do that, we have to be discipled. We have to learn what it is to walk with Jesus every day of our life and to become dependent fully on Him through an abiding relationship with Him. Jesus says, God says, you will produce fruit as you abide in Me. And so one of our, one of our great desires is that everybody would be engaged in, in a discipleship community. Grow groups, small groups, ABFs, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's coming together as the people of God to grow in an abiding relationship with Him. And we do that in community. You can't, a lot of times people say discipleship is a one-on-one thing. You can, you can do some one-on-one discipleship, but I, I promise you, you will grow more in community than you'll ever grow in a one-on-one relationship. And, and preferably, probably you have both. You have somebody investing in you. You have a mentor of some, of some kind, but, but you grow in community, and we need community. This is what we are called to. This is what, this is what Antioch is, right? Antioch is a, is a, is a city, right? Is there only one church in Antioch? Probably not. There's probably all kinds of churches in Antioch, and they're saying the church of Antioch, there they were called Christians. And they were acting like it, and they were, they were saturated with the grace of God. They were saturated with the gospel. They were saturated with discipleship and being poured into by their leaders. And from Antioch, which we're going to continue on as we explore Acts Through Antioch, God is going to launch out a movement, right, that starts with the craziest guy in Scripture, Saul, the most unlikely of men to be used of God, the one who is ultimately responsible for the the planting of the church in Antioch because he was persecuting the church. And because of his persecution, they were launched out of Jerusalem and then landed back in Antioch, planted a church, and then the church in Antioch receives back the one who persecuted them in the first place. Only God can write that story. Only God can do that. And so my question for us this morning is do we want that of God for our church? Again, it's not rocket science. It's very, it's very simple. Be saturated with the grace of God. Be saturated with the gospel. And grow in his truth in a discipleship relationship. And through us, God will launch out initiatives that will go farther than we could ever imagine for his glory and for his kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we we give you thanks and praise all that you've accomplished through your son Jesus Christ who through his death, burial, and resurrection calls us into a new relationship with himself and we thank you that he establishes his church and you called us in the grace of God to be Christians to be Christ followers so Lord I pray that we would be saturated with your grace with your gospel, and that as we follow and abide in Jesus, you would help us to grow into everything you desire us to be, individually and as a people, that the world may see and know that we belong to you and that we love one another and that we love a lost and broken world. Glorify yourself through us, we pray 
And we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.